If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, folks. How are you? Uh, Lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much indeed for joining us for another episode of our weekly podcast, Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman, where I dive into the world of film and music and talk about its beautiful and wonderful and unique and extraordinary relationship. I think that's what I love about the show. So many things I love about doing the show. One thing is that I'm just nosy and I want to know as much as I can about film and music and who better to speak to about that than wonderful creative minds in both of those camps, really. So for every episode, I walk away having learned so much. And I hope that it's accessible for you, um, whatever level of film fan that you are. There are some weeks that we kind of take deep dives, but there are other weeks where we kind of simply just want to celebrate film and music and that unique and beautiful relationship. So I hope you feel like you are part of the conversation and you enjoy the conversation and you get something out of it. And I also hope off the other end as well that it makes you go and watch some films and listen to music as well. Um, So there we go. We've got a wonderful collection of guests coming up over the next few weeks. Um, It's kind of crazy, to be honest, at the minute. Um, Not that it hasn't been already. We're so lucky with the names that we've had on the show and just the The wonderful conversations that we've had, a really lovely uh, reaction to Garth Jennings from last week talking about Sing 2, particularly about that whole thing about Bono and trying to tell Bono to be a little bit rubbish. Can you just not be quite as good? Um, So that was great. So if you haven't listened to that yet, then please do dive into that. But coming up over the next um, few weeks in no particular order, in fact, we're still working out ourselves how we're going to fit it all in and share this with you. But we have um, the wonderful Ariana DeBose, who is a a phenomenal all-rounder and has definitely come to a lot of people's attention as she took on the award-winning role of Anita in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. I love this woman. I got to spend quite a bit of time with her um, over the last couple of weeks doing various Q&As and she's nominated for E.E. E. Rising Star for the BAFTAs this year. So she's she's a brilliant talent, really wonderful human being. So she's coming up. We've got Bryce Desner um, of the national fame, but also talking about uh, working with Joe Wright on his version of Cyrano. Um, we've also got David Newman, brother of Thomas, um, who also was part of the creative team on West Side Story. Also coming up, slightly giddy about this one, Johnny Greenwood. I had the pleasure of chatting to Johnny Greenwood last week about many things. Um, about Jane Campion, Power of the Dog, about Lynn Ramsey and working with her, uh, about working with um, Pablo Laran on Spencer and also, of course, about working with Paul Thomas Anderson. So all of those are coming up over the next few weeks. So if you aren't already subscribed, then please do. But our latest guests, guests on Soundtracking, are actor and now writer-director Maggie Dillenhall and composer Dickon Hinchcliffe, who join us to discuss their collaboration on The Lost Daughter. Now, The Lost Daughter is available on Netflix now, so please do go and watch it. And it's just 
Well, it's pretty extraordinary. It stars Olivia Coleman, Dakota Johnson and Jesse Buckley. And amongst many other things, a genuinely powerful meditation on the trials and tribulations of motherhood. This conversation with Maggie and Dickon is really lovely, a really lovely conversation about music. So let's get into it with one of Dickon's cues from the film, I'm Working. Well, it's such a treat to get you um, get you both together, Maggie. When I was lucky enough to do Q and A with you and your incredible, some of your incredible cast at London Film Festival, we mentioned Dickon, and as soon as I kind of mentioned his name, it was beautiful to watch your facial reaction and your, you know, kind of your physical reaction to even just mentioning his name, which was for me a lovely sign that you'd had a beautiful experience in making this film together because the music's just. Music's a real character in this film, I think, as well. I think that's true. I think that's what we wanted it to be. I think for me, when I was, how, how do I put this? When I, um, when I was cutting, and even when I was filming, I had so much music in my head. And and one of the ways that I actually was communicating with my editor before I got in a room with him was he and I would uh, share music back and forth. And anyway, always I find music is a kind of way into opening something up in my mind. So I was listening to interesting music when I was shooting. And I did start to imagine actually some really strange things with songs in the movie. And a lot of them have actually ended up in the movie. But then we put temp track in when we were cutting. And I I loved a lot of the temp music. And I was really scared about getting involved with a composer without knowing, you know, without knowing really anything about composing music and what that relationship would be. And what if I got stuck in a relationship with someone who didn't understand me? And what if I got, you know, as opposed to here's a song I like, I'm going to drop it in my film. Um, So I was really scared at first in terms of how we were going to get involved. And, um, and I I met Dickon twice. I actually met Dickon at first. I think I really didn't know what I wanted when we spoke. I don't know if you remember that first conversation. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good place to start, though. No, <laughs> the beginning. Yeah, yeah the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do you remember about that conversation, Dickon? Well, um, we talked about the film. I think more than music, in a way, didn't we? Because I think I, I think I was trying to say that to me, the most important thing is to talk about the film as much as music because then for me to understand it and to for them for me to be able to respond to um to what maggie was was wanting and from some of the pieces that were in the film already it was just a a really good way to start it but yeah at the time you were still kind of like you said you were a bit nervous about how to get the ball rolling really and what the relationship would be and to be completely honest i met with lots of composers I first met with Dickon, then I met with lots of other people, and then I came back to Dickon. And part of it was because 
I really, well, first of all, I was listening to film score all the time and I was like, I don't like any of this music. I don't like <laughs> any film score. The film score I liked was the film score that felt like it was a character in the movie. Like for example, in the mood for love, you know? Um, and even in, um, Oh, um, I'm going to maybe get his name wrong. Almodovar's composer has the same feeling where you're like, that's a character in the movie. Yeah. And I, I remember playing some of those pieces actually, then I started gathering, okay, I like this and this is why I like this. And this is why there was a piece um, of uh, yours, I think from the Tinder sticks that I, I, oh, what movie was it in? It was, it was some Claire Denis film. And I played that too. And I, I gathered this group of things that I liked. I also had a Tinder sticks piece in my temp score that I loved loved that was I didn't want to let go of in fact that was over the affair section and I play them for Dickon so then I meet with him again I'm like I think he's my guy I meet with him again and he says to me all the music that you're playing me are is waltzes mm-hmm. these are all waltzes and I was like so as much as you were saying yes of course we have to talk about the film which we did and became a huge part of our conversation in fact the thing that made me go oh my god okay, let's work together, was a, a musical observation. Wow. I love that. It's like a dance. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and I think it's, I was trying to, I think I tried to explain it. It's like, rather than like a lot of songs are in a full four time, it's like based on marching, whereas a waltz is, has sideways movement to it. And I think that that's what you're looking for, Maggie. And your film has so much of that about it, that it's, it's not like going from A to Z. It, it's like there's all these places we go on the way and a lot of it's sideways movement. And the time, even though there are boundaries around it, isn't exactly linear, you know? That's <laughs> true in the movie yeah. and it's also true in a waltz. Yeah. One of the things I had realized in thinking about the music, because there was a time where I was like, okay, I'm just going to get my husband and my friend who are both great with music to be my my music supervisors. Forget it. I won't have a composer. <laughs> I'm just going to like put all found music. What I realized though was no, um, no, that's not sophisticated enough for what I want. But I, I, I don't want to manipulate people with the music. I don't want to go. I, I'm easily manipulated by music, and especially in film. I cried the whole through Encanto. You know, like I, 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 yeah. I, I. If someone wants me to cry, they can make me cry if they play the violin. Don't mention Bruno, please. Don't mention Bruno, or you'll set you me off. You did it. You did it. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, uh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I did. I felt like. The performances were so exquisite and so complicated and so kind of unidentifiable and mercurial and moving. I wouldn't even begin to know what feeling to push someone into feeling. So the music had to be just as complicated and interesting and hold on its own as these characters in the movie. So then I said to Dick and I think in the second time we met that I wanted it to be like a found album, like an old album that, you might find it a garage sale and you just, it was magic and you happened to put it on and it fit exactly our story.
I think it's really like you say there's 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 lovely themes to so much of the score and we have that brilliant theme for Leda which is is so interesting you saying that because I remember when I first saw the film I was like oh I know this song and then it's kind of like oh no I don't know it but it felt so familiar and I loved that about it because it made you kind of feel a certain way about the character immediately oh it's like a pop song it's so great it's kind of like a familiar song that you know and you feel comfortable and safe with what was the kind of the process of of coming up with that theme Dickon was it was it was Um, it based on performance was it based on many things well I think lots of things I think we we spoke a lot about having having momentum and the feeling that later was driving just starting a holiday and and this could be something she's listened to on the radio, you know, because I think Maggie, you, you did think about having a song there. And, and, and then I think we realized that it would be more interesting to introduce a theme for, for later and that, and that it would be instrumental without lyrics because without singing, because then you, you really kind of get inside what Olivia Commons doing with the character there, I think, because mm. there, there are no words. So you can kind of imagine her thoughts with the music. theme up we we kind of played around with it didn't we through the through the whole film really at different times different versions of it and it works in different ways and then it becomes by the end a very fragmented kind of broken version and then like you said though the film is is Maggie's idea to bookend it and come back with it at the end and it gives it a kind of circularity but hopefully it's taken us somewhere on this journey as well. Well, the thing you said too about it being identifiable, that there's a kind of comfort in it. Well, first of all, Dick, I think it was the first thing you wrote. Wow. And it came out of you and I loved it. And, you know, we shifted a bit, but mostly it was alive the first time I heard it. But I think there were different parts. There are some parts of the movie. So it works great in the beginning. I love the way it's really in opposition to what you're seeing. She passes out on the beach and then like this like wild thing comes in, which has nothing to do with the other. It's like someone passed out. And then though, I want to say about this theme, there was this part in the movie, you know, it's like this tiny little thing. She gets hit with the pine cone and then she's walking down the street and she just gets dizzy and puts her hands on her knees and, just kind of stops for a minute and we're in a big wide shot. And then she turns around and walks back the other way. I had a hundred people tell me to cut that. And I took, you know, when someone gave me a note, I agreed with it. And I, I mean, I would take a good note from anywhere. I'm not stupid. Um, but everyone told me to cut that. And I was like, 
no, 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 this is going to work. This is very important and it's going to work. I'm sorry, it's making you uncomfortable. And then once we put that music in, because we, we basically, she's looking at her back, she's been hit by the pine cone, and we sort of tease that that theme is going to come back in. And then that theme comes back in and it's almost funny. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's funny and also very disturbing. Once the music was in, not one person told me to cut that anymore. <laughs> worked, really because we kind of tried to try to make it feel like she was drunk almost like there was something kind of woozy and a bit destabilizing about it wasn't it so it, it, it had lost its kind of feeling of it being like a an upbeat pop song and it had become something where she was really yeah you know, struggling. yeah but what's interesting this is another thing I found really interesting like okay so we played with it being really tripped out and that didn't work And in fact, even if you're going to be drunk, I just watched Tim Roth be so brilliant in a scene where he's drunk in this movie. And, uh, and he's just really, you know, the the old thing they say about acting drunk, you have to try to act not drunk, but he does it a hundred percent. He doesn't wink at you for a second that he's actually I'm drunk and he looks really drunk then. And it's the same. I, I realized this about working with you, Dickon was like, the same kind of notes that work to get an actor to express themselves, the same kind of notes, I think really worked with us communicating with each other. And I think we found with that piece that like, it has to try to keep itself together in the same way that she's trying to keep herself together or else it dissipates all the energy. I love as well how the the score can all almost kind of guides us through the, the different time frames as well, you know, with the kind of flashbacks and, there's that real, so subtle, the way the cue comes in where Leda's watching Nina and her daughter on the beach with the watering can. And it's kind of, you know, you can see that it's painful for her to see this. And she's, it takes us as an audience back to the flashback. And it's such a clever way, the way that you bridge that as well. Whereas so many people would have had different sonic texture textures for the now and the then, and you haven't. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes it even more emotional. And fluid in the way that we go between the two the two worlds. Yeah, I, I think it has a lot to do with um, making the, the past feel very present because mm. the way that it is in the film, it, it's it's all happening at once. To me, I don't ever think, oh, I'm now in the past, now I'm in the present. It's mm. all one time for me. So that it would be crazy for me for the music to change because we're going back in time because in my mind, nothing's really changing. I don't know if that's completely rubbish, Maggie, but... That's how I interpret it. I totally agree with you. I think you can be sitting on um, a beach chair on the beach, really be there and realize for 20 minutes you were actually in 2006. And yet you were right there. Or for one second, there was a kiss or a a yell at someone and you remember one second of it. And for a minute you were back there. I love that music though. 
I think, oh, oh, yeah. Like the, also in the film, just editorially, we're moving almost always back and forth between the two time periods, you know, so there's one of my, probably my, well, no, I don't know. My favorite music cue is probably latest theme. And then the affair, which we talk about is my, like, I love that piece of music. listens to it like pop song but I also really love that piece with this like driving when she um goes and has the memory of throwing the doll out the window oh yeah yeah and also wait it's the same a very similar theme there as that like medley where she um, where she's making love and she's watching the kids yelling that's that that's really one of my favorite parts of the movie in general and the music has so much to do with it with those moments Dickon where you are you know we you're talking about the idea that it's you know it's it's kind of all in front of you sort of thing rather than being behind and, and in the present what were you reacting to in terms of the the inspiration for what you wrote did you had you see performances because it feels as well that the symmetry between the performances and the music as well was kind of really powerful yeah it, it's hard to say exactly but I, one thing I did remember thinking at the time was um that with those scenes you're just talking about um with uh the young younger lady and intercutting that that sort of medley what cuts between the younger and the older lady and the older family and everything at the time I, I was playing around with this little piano idea and I was kind of wanting it to feel very simple and childlike so it could be almost something a child could play and it felt really nice over the scenes with the kids, but it also had something kind of quite um, quite disturbing about it as well. And it's simplicity when it's put up against, I had this sort of throbbing organ sound going underneath it at times and this building tension of the drums and the bass. And so I was trying to sort of marry together um, different elements of, of, I guess, of what it is, motherhood, parenthood, of the, the beautifulness of the, the piano and the, the naivety and the, the kind of purity of it combined with all the other things that you're dealing with as, as a parent and and you know it, it wasn't done as literally as that but it was something that I kind of felt as, as I was doing it and, and I could build on it as, as the cue developed for sure. Thank you. 
also in those first, so first you see Jesse, the one you were talking about, and she's just peeling an orange and she's being lovely and she's on the beach with her kids. Once you get to some of the memories that are more terrifying and more mm. difficult to think about, I remember uh, in the, when we were cutting it, um, Afonso Goncalves, my editor, he, he at first in the tent put this like Nick Cave piece, which was so beautiful. And I'm a huge fan. Warren Ellis, Nick Cave, you know, you can imagine yeah. over that first memory where she's yells at her kids and she throws the doll yeah. out the window. And it just like turned her, it just completely indicted her. It was like, very much judged her and made it seem like she was this horrible, dark mother. Mm. And then we, I realized at that point that the music was, was very important to sort of like use the music at that point to say to the audience, like, it's okay. It's okay. It's a little, it's a little bit difficult here, but like, come yeah. with us. it's safe. We're safe. Come with us. You She's know? having a bad day. Yeah. yeah. We're going to take care of you here. Uh, you know, every instinct in you wants to make her mommy dearest, but it's, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, and so in some ways we also, there was an element of like um, warmth and friendliness yeah. and uh, Playful, playfulness. It was a kind of playfulness, yeah. wasn't it as well? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I've been her, <laughs> you know, you have to, it's okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love as well. There's the, the 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 beautiful kind of textures where young Leda is is kind of taking those steps into her freedom and finding her voice and the lightness and the sort of joy that she's feeling and with this freedom that she's sort of stepping slowly into. Those those moments are glorious, really, really oh, beautiful as well. Musically, that I love that stuff. You're talking about like when she's at the conference and yeah. I know. I love that. Yeah. That was the last piece that we finished, you know, we struggled that. Yeah. yeah, it was a tough one because um well so really at the first half of it I kind of got quite quickly, but as the as the music progressed, um Maggie you kept saying to me she she's falling in love with her with her with her mind and and it wasn't and the music was kind of going counterpoint to what we're seeing on the on the screen because she's having sort of quite sort of um mundane but sort of domestic conversations on the phone and yet her inside her mind and her body are kind of singing and so yeah. it, was, it was tough to find wasn't it but I think we got there well this is when I realized really that I remember giving you a horrible note <laughs> just saying something about this this piece uh saying you know it it's it's too sad and it needs to be more sexy and then thinking to myself, what if a director had given me that note as an actress? I would have been like, I, I would have, I, I don't know what I would have done. I wouldn't have liked it very much. And, um, and I kind of gave myself a talk. To, of course, I wouldn't give that note to an actor. But why would I ever have given it to you? Like, what a shitty note. And, and so I thought, I thought, no, okay, that's when I really learned. No, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to try to open you in the same way I would try to open a, an actor. And what you're talking about is exactly right. The event of that scene. Okay, yeah, she's talking nonsense. Okay, she's sick. Which video are you going to watch? That doesn't make any difference. What's happening in that scene is that exactly she's she's 
she's coming alive. She's turned on. She's, she's the, something's awake. And in fact, there's this one place where we're really close on Jesse. I just think she's so gorgeous in this part. And she says something like, no, I hadn't even read his work about the guy at the conference. She said, she says, it was all my own thinking. And the music just like swells at that moment, like as if that's the most romantic thing that anyone could ever say, you know, and in some ways it is, you know, and and a girlfriend of mine watched it. I was um, playing it, playing her the music and she burst into tears. I was like, this is, this is working now. Wow. It's such a, a a beautiful piece of filmmaking, you know, Maggie. I think that what you've you've done with this is extraordinary. And I, I love as well the where you've chosen to have, you know, no music as well, because it makes it even more powerful. There are quite a lot of moments, I think, in the film that a lot of people would have would have stuck score under moments, you know, to kind of accentuate things or push the audience forward in certain things. And I I love that you have held back on moments to kind of allow the performances to to kind of breathe and allow us as an audience to not fully understand or know and keep that kind of mystery around things I think it's so Mm. powerful I mean it was very clear to us where music should be don't you think yeah I I think I mean even when I saw a really early cut and you had temp music on it the, the, I didn't. Sometimes you can see a cartoon thing. Oh, there's far too much music in this, and I'm not sure I want to be involved because it, the, <laughs> you know, the the, the concept is all wrong. Yeah, too much work. <laughs> <laughs> but but a bit what you were saying before. If you have too much music, it becomes like a kind of wallpaper, like white noise. Yeah. And you forget yeah. it there, and then so when it, I like music when it comes in. That you know, it, it's just doing something like like a, another character, as you were saying. Yeah. Like, yeah walking into the room and and it has a, an active role to play so yeah the silences to me they're so they inspire me often you know more than the temp score in films because mm. it's where I can start to really hear what's yeah. going on you know in, in inside of things and and that that's really helpful when that, that space exists because then then it gives you somewhere to go it's interesting I was just thinking how weird it is to send a composer a cut temp score in it yeah. I would never do that again well, <laughs> some some like it some don't from my experience of talking to people well there's a story I think I think it was Bernard Herman when he saw Taxi Driver or I'm not sure if it was that film but he he walked I think he walked out of the screening because it had had temp score on it and he, he just said 
how can I imagine music with this music on here? And yeah. there, there is a point to that. But having said that, there's also like some of the some of the um, there were a few pieces in uh, Maggie that were that were kind of really helpful. The Emmerhoy piano stuff. Mm. But the, to me, the best temp music is not quite right, but it has a suggestion of mm. something, and and that piano music really helped with the. Um, the, those pieces we're talking about, the, the one with the more kind of uh, simple piano lines on it. Mm. it, it sort of helped lead me to that. So it can, when it when it's good music, it can be really, it can be inspiring. drops in there already as well with were you because I guess you have to have a you need to know the landscape of other music that may well yeah. be in there yeah they were and, and and that was another huge influence because particularly the sound because they and Maggie talked about having a found record and and there were these great tracks Roberta Flack and uh mm. Loren and and that, that really helped me in terms of the sonics because I wanted the music to not feel separate from those pieces. Right. I wanted right. it to feel like one and a whole, and and obviously it isn't. But it, but to not jump, you know, around too much was was important to us, wasn't it? Yeah, and also even I think that is a good example of like neither of those pieces. Those are also characters that are representing like something really. Um, unusual inside of a scene like all the people do and so it's a good indication of how the rest of the music should play but also yes I came to really realize that I don't like that kind of like hi-fi digital sound I Mm -hmm. like to hear that crackling and the you know I mean Dickon wouldn't even play me things that he had recorded in a way sometimes that sounded too high like what's the word I mean like too digital because he knew yeah. I would too like... clean aren't they you kind of want yeah. that almost vinyl crackle on things so it just yeah. gives it a realness doesn't it yeah well I had to play with all the strings I had to layer them up me playing violin and trying to play cello badly but then getting another cello getting a proper cello player because I knew that Maggie would hate it if I did a digital kind of mock-up. Um, I mean, I, I don't really like doing that anyway, but sometimes mm. you have to. But but I just knew it wouldn't work. It just didn't sit with the yeah. film. I didn't even imagine it working in that way.
One thing I guess we can say though about the needle drops is I won't say what it was, but there was like a song at the end of the movie, and yeah. it it was it was what to say about it. It was great. It was an incredible song. It was extremely powerful. We had saved our money for it and gotten it. And uh, it worked, you know, and it really did something interesting for the film. But then I realized as we were mixing um, that really what we needed was latest theme at the end. And we threw out this fancy song. <laughs> yes. I had, the I had first like, time I've ever heard that happen. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And then we were so lucky because what happened was we, I was like, it was scary, man. It was scary. <laughs> I was like, no, it's wrong. What's right is Dickens piece. It's better. And, and what it did was we had this little like found pocket of money to go record at Abbey Road, all the strings, you know, properly from having thrown that out. It was, it was really That's so cool. Yeah. It, was, it really works so much better. But it, here I was starting out thinking, I'm never going to find a composer. How can I trust anyone? And then in the end going like, I prefer this music to anything I could possibly find. You know, it's, it's everything I want, you know. Oh, uh, so beautiful. We're running out of time. One thing, it's a really bizarre thing to mention, but it's the ringtone. It's her ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask about it because I've been trying to work out what it was and it never rings long enough for me to shazam it to find out what it is. <laughs> and I want to ask about the choice of, you know, that ringtone because I, when you hear it for the first time, you're kind of like, oh, Oh, she's into that, and it kind of like you sort of, and then and then I started overthinking it. But the okay. ringtone. I'll tell you the secret of the ringtone if you want to know. <laughs> okay, she is not my mother. Okay, she's her own person. But my mother just happens to have for twenty years. Okay, whenever her phone rings, it's Chet Baker, and it goes. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> like, 
like so loud, like in the middle of anywhere. And I don't know why, but for some reason we were like trying to find ringtones in the cutting room and they were all so digital, speaking of digital and so ugly. And I just didn't want them in my movie. They were so ugly. And I was like, Ooh, could we just put but they're writing songs of love. What's that song called? But not, but not for me. For me. Can we, can we just put that in? If we put it in, I was like, let's just keep it. Okay. No, it costs like $20,000 every time it plays. So for a long time I had Chet Baker as a ringtone, like my mother. And then I did not have the extra 40 grand or whatever it cost to, to throw it in for five seconds. So it's uh, like the poor man's version that we got off of um, like one of those discs where yeah, yeah, yeah. you can use them on a movie and it works well. I think it, it accomplishes that same thing. Like who is this person? <laughs> She's not who I think she is. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad I asked. I love that story. It's so great. Listen, the, the film is, is beautiful. It's brilliant and it deserves all the recognition that it's getting and the praise that you're all getting for it as well. And I just can't wait to see what you do next. Um, I'm so excited to to see, you know, in terms of as a storyteller, this is just exceptional. And I, I just, yeah, I'm excited to see the stories that you tell us in the future, whether that's to, together and individually what you work on as well. But but yeah, um, I'm very excited about that. Thanks. There's a very high likelihood that it will be together. I hope so anyway. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Maggie Diggle, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real treat. And yeah, thank you for Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. So nice to Oh, Jesus, be all right. It changed, changed my name. I told Jesus, be all right. Be all right. From the soundtrack to The Lost Daughter, that's I Told Jesus by Roberta Flack. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Maggie Gyllenhaal and Dickon Hinchcliffe. My huge thanks to both of them for taking the time to talk to us. And as I said already, The Lost Daughter is streaming on Netflix now and deserves all the widespread acclaim it is getting. So please do go and check it out if you haven't already. Head to edithbowman.com to hear all of our previous episodes of the podcast, including my previous chat with Dickon. And be sure to subscribe whilst you're there if you haven't already. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and check out our YouTube channel for plenty of videos with people who've appeared on the show and some that haven't. So next week then, another wonderful guest talking film and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.